um, the Passion Conference took place this past week. And uh, how many of you guys, you've been a part of some kind of a passion event in the, the last couple of decades? Several of you guys have. Um, uh, Louis Giglio is a guy who uh, helped to birth that movement. Uh, and uh, really the grandfather of it was, was uh, John Piper. And uh, he, uh, these guys have been, been talking about what it means to bring justice to our world. And this past week... Uh, the 2nd through the 5th of January, they had a big event. Uh, 42,000 people gathered at the Georgia Dome, uh, mainly college students. This movement has been for a couple decades to be able to capture the hearts of college students, and yet young adults as well and older adults are captured as, as well. Um, one of the things they quoted this past week as they pressed into what's going on with human trafficking uh, is that uh, 27 million people live today in slavery. 27 million in different uh, distinctives of what slavery is. That's more than any place in history, more than any time in history. And uh, um, Isaiah 1 verse 17 says this, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. Let's see it one more time. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Um, I believe God is stirring uh, among the Christians, particularly in America, uh, to be exposed to what's going on uh, in, in other countries. It's, it's horrid what's happening. However, uh, it, it turns out there are thousands and thousands just in Atlanta that are sold into slavery. And uh, I dare say in our own city, we've got, we've got our own problems. Um, we want God um, to help us to know what's going on around the globe and even our own backyard. And uh, so I, I ask that you guys join, join me. It's going to be uh, January the 28th at 6.30 right here, uh, hosting an event called Justice and Worship, a response to modern slavery and uh, the main speaker for the evening uh, is a survivor of human trafficking. She's going to share her story and her testimony and about what she's doing here in our city to reach out to at-risk youth and others who are vulnerable. And uh, so uh, we'll be talking about it. We're going to be worshiping the Lord and just asking God to put the burden on us that He desires to put on us. And uh, then we'll have some avenues that we'll be looking at to a different organization, some Christian, some secular, places with great effectiveness to be able to put our time, to put our resources, uh, to make sure that we can be a part of what God wants us to be uh, in, uh, in bringing, in bringing uh, justice uh, to those that are oppressed. Let's pray. Lord, uh, <clears throat> we pray you continue to stir our hearts, that you would rally us, Lord, uh, behind your call to not only proclaim the gospel, but also to be the gospel, Lord, um, that we would be ones that, that we would we'd look for those that are, that are widows and orphans. We'd look at those that are oppressed, those who are marginalized in our own city and even partnering with those around the globe, God. It is deplorable what goes on in our city, what goes on in our nation, what goes on around the, our world. God, the evil, the wickedness that takes place. And we pray, God, that you will reveal to us what part we're supposed to play in it, God. And uh, Lord, um, we know that you're pressing forward, God, to bring relief, to bring healing, to bring rescue. Show us, God, how we can be a part of that. 
In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys, uh, if you want to turn uh, to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, um, we're going to be, uh, we're right around the corner from the end of this series in Ecclesiastes. Um, and uh, um, and as, as we get going today, I, I want you to know something. The, the world will tell you that if you've got just the right kinds of, kind of positive mental attitude that you're going to win and things are going to turn out okay for you. The world is going to tell you that if you're strong enough, if you're strong enough, then you're going to win. There's even elements of the Christian faith that will say if you just have enough faith, then you're always going to win, that things are going to be okay for you. And I want you to know, and Solomon, the professor, he's going to show us as well that that is not the case. Despite having a great attitude, despite being strong, despite having great faith, man, things happen to us that crush us and crush those around us. And, it, and it's deplorable at times, particularly when the, those that are marginalized, those, are, those that are abused. Um, but, but there's also another side of it where God says to us, you are not in control. You're not in control. You're not in charge only I am. I want to invite you guys to Ecclesiastes 9, starting in verse 11. Let's walk through this. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. No matter what it is, you're not in control. Now, there's a kind of a sarcasm that's written within this uh, to, to help us to understand that we, we just don't have it all together. We're not in control of the things that we think we are. And there's, there's five things that you note in this little section here that you do not control, that you may think that you do. There's, first is the race of your life. Secondly is your battles. Thirdly is your bread or your provision. Fourth is your intelligence. And fifth is your knowledge, the race. This is the big picture. He jumps right into it and just says, look, your life in general, from the beginning to the end, you're, you're not in control. You do not have everything together. I mean, he wants to get it out there. Secondly, he says your, your battles. This may be the big stuff that you fight or the, the small things, the frustrations every day that come at you. It could be the relational tensions and struggles that you, that you have in your life. Bread. Provision. And we think, I mean, especially as... As, as many of us men, women, and careers, I mean, we, we make our own money. You know, we, we uh, take charge of our, our bank accounts and our investments and our debts. And, and we just think, well, okay, we're, we're the ones that, that we take care of all of our provisions. Intelligence. Now, in, intelligence and knowledge are different. Intelligence is actually your ability to think and to strategize. It's actually the, the, the type of horsepower that you have up here. And if you look around the room, you talk to different people, people have different horsepower. People have different mental abilities and capabilities. Some people have photographic memories, and it's 
It's unbelievable. I, I, I envy these people most of the time because of my lack of short-term memory, how I forget things all the time. And yet, if you talk to somebody with a great, great memory, they'll also say, uh, Dave, it's, it's, there's certainly great things about it, and yet I always I have a tendency to remember all the bad things as well, Dave. I remember... I remember, I, not only, I don't get hysterical in fights, I get historical. I'm just able to look back to all the things that my friend or my wife or my husband or my, my sibling, all the things that they've done, and I'm just able to, to see it all and remember it all and to say, I, I just wish that I didn't have that good of a memory. So no matter where you are, as far as your mental abilities and capabilities, there's, there's strengths and, and there's weaknesses that are there. Another thing that you may think you control, but you don't, is, is even your, your knowledge things that you know and even your, your experiences. Um, I'm sure I mean, you, you're the one that read the book or the books uh, last year. Uh, you're the one that, that took the classes, and yet the ability to be able to use that knowledge, the ability, it, it can be taken away so easily and so, so quickly. We, we can't control all of these things in our lives. You can't control your death. You can't control when frustrations come. You can't even take credit for your own abilities that you have. And you may think, well, okay, Dave, if, if you're telling everybody that they're not in control, then, then you're really just telling people they can be lazy and not, not do anything. I mean, you're just kind of, you're, you're, you're helping people to, to not be uh, goal-oriented and, and to be driven. It's like, actually, I think it's the complete opposite. It's a complete reversal of that, because if you know you're not God, you're not in control, but that God is in control and that He is sovereign, then first you will not give up because you know the pressure is not upon you, whatever it is that's in front of you. You, you won't throw in the towel because the pressure of it being upon you if you know you're the one that's not ultimately in control. Secondly, if you know God's in control instead of you, you can press forward with courage because the pressure is not upon you. I was talking with the, the worship team and praying with them just before we started uh, just a little while ago and, and how, how God tells us that, that we're to be humble. We're going to see this a little bit further in here. God, God tells us to, to be humble in our lives, but with humility can come great courage. Because humility means that you're, you're ducking, you're coming under something, you're submitting yourself. And ultimately, we're submitting ourselves under the shield of God Himself. And under that shield comes great strength and comes great courage because we say, all right, it's not upon me. I'm not the shield. God is the shield over my life. And as I humbly submit myself under Him, I just say, all right, God, the only thing that's going to hit me is what you allow to hit me. The only things that affect me and hurt me are the things that you allow to come into my life, even though I may not like it. It's things that you have a purpose for them coming even into and through my life. I don't have to be the shield, and so therefore we can be incredibly courageous in our lives. You can have, as a result of this, you can have mammoth goals in your life when you're in submission to the king of kings intelligence let's go back to that that one intelligence you can you can set some strong goals. i mean here it is it's it's the beginning of 2012 and many of us we we've got goals we talked about goals last 
last week resolutions and talked about the, the greatest resolution of all is to recognize that, that Jesus is our righteousness. It's to, to be able to look instead of in the mirror to see ourselves, that, that we're able to look into the wash basin and see the righteousness of Christ and we actually see the face of Christ. And as we look, look there, instead of looking for ourselves, we see Christ and it brings us courage. And we say, all right, God, what is it now that you want me to do? Because you failed so that I could win. He didn't fail. But he underwent the wrath of God so that we would not have to. He, in, in some ways that everyone would say, they'd say he, he lost for our gain. He was wounded so that we could be healed. He became weak so that we could be strong. And so take that intelligence. Do you realize that you can actually get smarter, that you can become wiser. You've got you to pray it and you've got to seek it. Just check out the first five chapters of Proverbs. It's all about seeking wisdom. And that wisdom would be like, like gold, like silver, like precious adornments for you, that you seek it with all of your might. You can be very lazy with knowledge and with your, your intelligence. And, and I am sometimes. I know you guys are or two. But through Christ, we can press in. We can be courageous and we can say, yes, all right, I'm, I, know, I know where it is that God is leading me, or at least I know he's, I'm on this path and I'm going forward, and so therefore I need to invest in, in knowledge and in understanding, I, I, you know, in, in, in data and in people to be able to help me to get to where God is taking me. We learn that knowledge, we learn, we grow. I mean, y'all, y'all have heard this. Readers are leaders. Leaders are readers. And I'd, I'd say the most important thing for you to, to read to be a leader is the Word of God as it's the voice of Jesus Christ in your own life that you, you get into the Word, that, that you, you don't let anything get away from you listening to the voice of Jesus. You can have goals in your bread or your, your provision. And, and listen, when we start thinking about our provision, we have this tendency to think of, okay, what, what does that mean for me? What are the things that I'm going to get, accumulate, or consume? Or, or even for, for my family. My family. What are the things I need to go through my family? And, and there are things that God is going, going to reveal to you that He wants to do to bless you and to bless your family. But I challenge you that you think through what is it that God wants to do for bread, not only for you, but for others. We're going to see in just a couple, of, in a couple of chapters about casting our bread upon the waters, that it would come back to you. But what, what do you think God might dream for you in being a provider, not only for you, not only for your family structure, but what about providing for, for those that are around you? What about within our city? As, as we see, as we start to dive in and say, all right, God, we don't have the answers. We're not meeting together for this justice and worship because we figured it out. We're actually coming together to say, God, please teach us. Please help us to be courageous in exploring what is wicked and where there's injustice around us in, our, in the globe, but even in our own city. And then for us to be courageous to step up to the plate. What is it that God they, he may dream for you in, in, in creating finances? to be able to counteract injustice in our city, or maybe Cambodia, or Thailand. You may say, all right, Dave, I, 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 don't, 
I don't make a lot of money. But you have something more precious than money anyway. You've got your time. You've got yourself, your energies. You say, all right, God, how is it that I'm supposed to invest me in these areas? How am I supposed to bring provision and bread as a result of my, my hours and my time that I, that I fit? We can have great goals and even in our battles that we fight. The way to do this is to rest on the grace of Jesus Christ to know that you're fully forgiven. As Before you get to your next battle, that you look in that wash basin we talked about, that you see the reflection of Christ and His righteousness, know that you're fully forgiven. And when the battles come, then you know that, number one, you do not have to attack the other person. If you know you're completely forgiven, if you know you're cleansed from unrighteousness as a Christian, that when somebody attacks you, you don't have to attack them back. That would change, that would change this world if we understood that when that when rocks are thrown at us, that we don't have to pick that rock up and throw it right back at, at the other person. Does that mean that we're okay with injustice? That's not what I'm saying. But we're talking about when you're looking to, for revenge, when you're looking to harm somebody as a result of what they've done to you. If you understand grace, you can understand that is not winning the battle. That's losing the battle. Winning the battle is applying grace and truth in our relationships. And then we pull back down to the, the fifth thing again, the race itself. If, if you're submitted to the control of God, to the sovereignty of God, you can dream about what you want at the end of your life. You can ask yourself, how do you want the last chapter to be written? But all of that is going to be under the auspices of God. What do you dream for my life? What do you dream for me? I guarantee you this, every person in this room, every one of us, me included, we do not dream as big of dreams as God dreams for you and for me. We do not. You have no clue. I'm telling you, from the, mo the most mature person in here, you have no clue what God could do in your life with full faith and full surrender and faithfully walking that out. Our problem is sometimes we think way too highly of ourselves and that's what, what, what uh, gets us off, of, off course from those kind of dreams. But for most of us, it's that we see uh, that reflection of ourself in the mirror and, and we look and we see how imperfect we are and we see all of our mistakes and we just say, God, you can't use me. That's what stops us, most of all. And that's why we've got to look into that wash basin we see the righteousness of Christ. We look and, and instead of seeing our, our, own, our own reflection, we see Jesus and we say, wow, God, you, you see me. When you see me, you see Jesus. And through that, we're able to say, all right, God, you can use me. You can use those around me. And you, not only, I mean, talk about true belief in yourself. That is what true belief in yourself is. It's not I can do it. It's that Christ, you've already done it and therefore you can do it in me. That's what real self-esteem is. To believe in the, the, the person that God has won in you. The professor moves on in his writing to give an example of someone who did great things, 
and they're forgotten. Verse 13, I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. First in the section we see a, a story of marginalization. Taking advantage of those who are smaller or weaker. Got a big king with big power that's going against a little city with little power. Oppression. Marginalization. Again, this, this story, we see this played out over and over around us. And in particular, as we look at this horrible thing of slavery going on currently, human trafficking, that is marginalization and oppression at about its worst. Big, large, powerful come in and they oppress, they take over, they control, they manipulate, they abuse. Yet, in this story, there's an unlikely hero, a poor man, a wise poor man, and he is a part of bringing deliverance to his little city. Now, therein is is just a a great story of, of, of what God can do through one person, through one person. That you don't have to be great, you don't have to have influence, you don't have to have money, you don't have to have power. God can use you right where you are. It doesn't matter who you are. Man, woman, student, boy, girl. God can use you right where you are. And he intends to. Because all around us are these big kings that are coming in to the little cities. All around you, there's marginalization taking place. Even you guys in middle school or high school, man, you see it all the time. God can use you. God can use you. So this poor man, we, we, don't, we don't get the rest of the story. I'd love to hear this. I'd love to find out what, what it was that happened. What was the strategy that took place by, by which this little city was, was saved from such an awesome, a big, big power. But, I mean, it, it reminds me, it reminds me of, of the story of Joseph when, when he rescued Egypt and, and basically all of ancient Near East from the famine. And, and yet, in Joseph's story, Joseph was, he was, I mean, it's a similar story. Joseph was poor. Joseph was an alien. He was in jail. He was in prison. And yet, in one fell swoop, he comes in with a strategy that, that, that wins the heart of the Pharaoh, and he's placed second in charge of the entire nation. And he's raised up and has all this power and all these accolades. In a similar situation, you have this little poor, wise man, and he was a part of it. He may have had some similar strategies. Who knows? And yet, once they were freed, he was forgotten. Guys, that's, that's life. They, Joseph and the poor man, they both did what was right. They both did what was wise. They were both poor. Joseph, again, was even an alien. One was rewarded and one was abandoned. What do, we, what do we learn from this? Again, God has 
the power to raise up or to lower whomever He wants for His purposes. He is God, and that is His prerogative. Period. You may be one that through your obedience God raises up, or through your obedience God lowers you down. You may be one in which God gives you amazing influence, or you may be one that you die and there's nobody at your funeral. Our role is to be obedient, is to be humble, is to be courageous. What happens to you after obedience is not up to you. It's, it's up to God. But, but li- listen, listen. Even those of us that may die in, in, in a, a type of an obscurity, you didn't. Faithfulness to God brings glory to God and furthers His kingdom. The smallest, the, the smallest person faithful coming into the kingdom of God, there is, there is huge reward of God Himself and incredible joy and peace and enthusiasm and excitement for all of eternity. There's no one, no one who sacrifices for Jesus Christ that at least on the other side of, of glory, the other side of death, doesn't say it was worth all of it and I would have gone even further if I'd had the chance. I'm telling you. That's the testimony of every saint. Every one who's gone before us is not, not one of self-condemnation of, oh, I wish I'd done bet- I, more or, or better, but one that would just said, I would have been willing to go through so much more. Sometimes we're kind of on the receiving end of a poor man, poor wise man like that. And so what, what do we learn from that? When somebody comes in and they, 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 they serve and they add value, well, one of the things we need to do instead of that little city is we need to show appreciation to those that add value to us. Thank the ones that, that are around you. Practice strategic gratitude. Listen. Practice strategic gratitude. Who, who is someone in your life right now that they serve you, they add value to your life? When is the last time that you've shown gratitude to them? When's the last time that, that you've recognized them for, for what they do? And, and don't just be, don't be a generalist. Don't just say, hey man, thanks for all the things that you do. And, man, let them know. I mean, I just think about, think about, Eric Morgan, and I think about these sound guys and the folks that come in and set up faithfully every, every Sunday. And, and some of y'all are part of those teams. And, 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 and many, of these, many of them, that their whole job is to not be noticed, to not be seen. These sound guys, these guys working on pro presenter. And, you know, it's like, like, it's like okay, my, my job is just to make, is to support people in worshiping God and that people never even know I'm back here. I'm so grateful for these men and these women that do things, setting up the chairs, counting money, setting up communion, you know, just, just the things, you know, just talking about the, to help us to worship, to gather on a Sunday morning. There's no small people. There's no small tasks in the kingdom of God. Be strategically grateful. Who's somebody that you need to be thankful for? Thank them and tell them why you're thankful for them. Uh, on the giving end, uh, what is something we can learn? Because sometimes we're that poor wise man. Sometimes we're the ones that, 
we pour in. We're adding value. And we're, we invest. We invest in people and they turn away. You give yourself to a cause. You give yourself to an organization. You give yourself within your own family. And you're not appreciated. Or at least you don't feel appreciated. What do we learn? What should we do in our lives when, when this is the case and you give and give and give and give and you're not appreciated or at the very least you don't feel appreciated? Lean on Jesus. Lean on Him. Go to Him. Because Jesus knows what it's like to be abandoned. Jesus knows what it's like to be forgotten. Even the Son of God Himself was betrayed by those by, by one that was close and forgotten and abandoned by those that were truly close to him. Jesus understands. And you know what Jesus did? And what he does? He remains faithful. He remains obedient to his dad in doing the will of his father. You know what, what God wants us to do is that we, we don't look to others' appreciation or their words to be the reason why we're obedient. Now, it's awesome. We, we, need to, we need to be people that's reciprocal, that as we serve, that we're appreciated. And, and as, 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 as others serve us, that we appreciate them. We need to do that. I need to be better at that as a, as a pastor, within my own family, with, with Danielle, even with my own kids, the way when they serve, and, and just, just to not, just not sit on the throne and say, well, everybody's supposed to, supposed to serve me. No, none of us are supposed to be that way. We're to be humbled by the humility of others when they when they serve us. But when it doesn't work out right, when we're forgotten, when we're not appreciated, we say, God, my value and my joy is not based upon what other people do or don't do. My joy is based upon you, Jesus, because you did what I could never have done. We all would love to receive accolades, power, Riches, we, we'd, love, we'd love for our story to be on the Joseph side of things. And maybe we don't want that much power. We don't want that much, be in the spotlight that much. But honestly, I mean, we'd, we'd rather things go well. We'd rather be appreciated. We'd rather, we'd rather you know, to, to not die in obscurity. We, we'd rather people love us and appreciate us. But let me ask you this. Are you willing... Listen to me. Are you willing to do what is glorifying to Jesus even if you are forgotten? Are you? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to glorify Jesus even if you're misunderstood? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus even if they don't follow you anymore? even if they don't appreciate you anymore. Are you? Are you willing to do whatever? The professor moves us to some other practical nuggets of wisdom. Chapter 10, verse 1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. You guys have heard the saying, fly in the ointment. That's that's where this comes from. Um, It only takes... A small amount of, of putrid to make the beautiful smell bad. Now here's just the big point in here, guys. 
Sin can ruin your name fast. Sin can ruin your marriage fast. Sin can ruin your friendship fast. I've known uh, men that have had huge influence, national, even international influence. Pastors of large churches, CEOs of multi-million dollar companies, people with, I mean, where the thousands, tens of thousands of people looked to them, followed them, who fell. One decision, one indiscretion, and they lose their family over it. Sometimes it's not, it's not right. Grace is not being shown. Mercy, forgiveness is not being shown as a result of that. That in of itself is not right. The reality is, though, destruction comes. One sin can shatter things. One sin. And so I bring that as a warning to you and a warning to me because sometimes we flirt. Sometimes real Sometimes we're, we're those that we, we, we dance on, on the cliff because of the adrenaline that it brings to us flirting right on the edge. And I'm telling you, I mean, I know this just because I'm an idiot adrenaline junkie that gets close to the edge and sometimes falls off literally in my, my life. But that is something that happens within our lives, within our morality, within our relationships. It's when you flirt with the edge just assume that you're going to fall and it will break your relationship will break your marriage will break it may not be irreparable but it will break you lose your name so quickly you can lose your credibility so quickly temptations man they're all around us and almost every temptation that you have is somehow tied to either envy or stealing or cheating, stealing images with our eyes, you know. I want all of y'all to know that if you're married in here, the only, the only naked body that God intends for you to look at outside of your own is, is your spouse. It doesn't matter if somebody got paid for it. Doesn't matter if it was totally their choice and they're not in some kind of a, a slavery, which they are. You can't justify it. The only body that you're supposed to look at and be able to see is the one God made for you that you come comes in a covenant relationship called marriage. And y'all who are single, I'm just I just want you to know. And God, God does not want, He knows it's destructive for you to be, to be viewing, whether it's, whether it's virtually, digitally, or in a magazine, or it's actually with another person that you're seeing their, their body. It's, it's not for you to do that. You're actually stealing from somebody when you do that. And compromise our integrity by got in the marketplace by telling a customer or a colleague a half-truth or a full-on lie. Now, note self and to you, there's no real thing as a half-truth. It's all deception. It's so easy in the marketplace. It's so easy in the boardroom, 
uh, among, I mean, what, your reports that you're writing to, to, to fiddle with the numbers, to, to, to fudge here and there, to try to look a little better, try to co- cover up something that you, you just wish had not happened. It's so easy to go in that direction. Do not. Do not. You may not lose everything. <clears throat> it, may not, it may not shatter uh, your marriage or your, or your job or your relationship with your neighbor or your friend completely, but I'm telling you, indiscretion, immorality, cheating, lying, it takes years and years to rebuild with those who are willing to rebuild. For those who, if you... you you cheat on, on a spouse or cheat on a fiancé or a girlfriend, if they stick with you, it takes years to rebuild that. Now, it's not in the same category, but even within relationships, when there's pornography that's involved there, that is a, there is a cheating that's going on. It's not, it's not adultery with another person, but it is a, it's an adultery of the mind that takes place, that even that takes a long time to recover from. Now, here's the thing. This, we've reached, uh, we've reached a, a difficult point for, for some, some of us because it's like, okay, I, I, I've got something in my life that I've done. And if that's really, if the knowledge of that is really going to harm things, that I better just cover over it. I'm telling you, that is not the answer because that's not freedom. Anytime we keep things in the darkness, that, that's what brings destruction. It's a cancer that we just say, if I just ignore this spreading cancer, maybe it'll go away. No, maybe you will die a horrible death is what will happen. And so we have to be courageous when it comes to the things in our lives by which we've, we've, uh, we've compromised. and We've got to bring it out into the light. And ask God, the God of grace, to, to restore us. And, and, I, and I, I place this out to you, uh, you men or you women, if you need to discuss something, contact me, contact Eric. Uh, if you're in a, in a group, uh, uh, speak to another leader, another person that's mature in the faith about what it is. But, but let's get it out into the light, especially when sin is being done to other, to other people. You've you got to know this. You, you either, you're either going to feel the pain of integrity or you will feel the shame and the pain of sin. So all this is really about the heart. Uh, verse 2 in here says, A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. Now early we looked at all the things we do not control, um, here it is, we see that it doesn't matter what a person says or what a person does. What matters is the heart. Where is it that your affections really lie? Because I mean, we, can, we can act right and our heart be completely wicked. Our heart be totally uh, off. Where are your affections? If my affections are only on me, if your affections are only on you, we're going to be inclined to the path of the left is what this is telling us. Uh, a path of, of foolishness. A path 
of destruction of ourself, a path of destruction for our others. If our affections are in Christ, you will walk the path of wisdom. Well, prayers I pray uh, for my kids uh, very often, a lot of times when we're driving to school. And I just pray, I say, God, give them clarity to know the wisest decision to make and give them courage to make the wisest decision. And it's got to be both of those. Uh, First of all, we need to know what is wisest. To where every day we say, all right, God, I don't, want, I don't want to view things according to my wisdom. I want to view things according to yours. I want to have clarity to be able to see things from your perspective, God. That's what I need. But then it doesn't stop there because many times we know the right thing to do, don't we? We know what it is that we're supposed to do next. We don't do it. So it takes the courage. And we say, God, place the courage within me. Place the courage in one another to where we step out and we press forward in making the wisest decision that's there. Because, and, I mean, because what I pray over my kids, what I pray over for you is that no matter what others think, that you do what God says. And you do it when God says it. No matter who likes it or no matter who doesn't like it. You may, you may want to memorize Joshua 1.9. It says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you will go. No matter where you find yourself tomorrow or this week. No matter what it is that comes and the arrows that are thrown at you. No, no, matter, no matter what even bad decision that you, you've made in your past. God says, look, you got everything you need because I am with you. Look, look at the person next to you say, God is with you. He is with us wherever we go. Now that's, a, that's something that, that should scare the crap out of us at times. When, God, when we know that, man, where we go, we take Jesus. The things we do, we take Jesus there. That we drag Jesus right into the, in the very sin. And he's, he's there. He's not blind. He's not deaf. He is there. Now think about that and, and be deeply offended as a result of that. Be deeply embarrassed. I don't, mean sh- I don't mean shame. I don't mean condemnation. But let it be weighty upon us that whatever we do, Jesus is with us. But the most important part of that is, is not that He's with us when we go into the slum, when we fall off the wagon. The most important thing is, is God says, I paid for the wagon. Now get up. Be victorious. I've given you all the strength that you need. Now go forward. Yes, you screwed up again. You tripped up again. I paid for it. Confess it. Repent. And go forward. Go forward. Verse 4. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Peace and calmness of mind will will guard you when when there's friction with authority. And and wisdom dictates that we do several things. Um, That we act humbly with authorities, and, and how about with everyone else? Act humbly. That we... Admit when we're wrong and be quick to admit it. Uh, I've, I've had friends over the years that are policemen. Um, Doug's a state trooper, um, part-time, and uh, right here in the body. 
And uh, I mean, if you, you guys you guys had the blue light specials on the interstate? Yeah, you know, you had that um, when they come. Well, do you know what I've heard from from almost every one of these guys when this conversations come up about when they stop somebody who's speeding? Just about every one of the the men I haven't discussed it with the women, but I'm sure they'd say it as well. But that what I've heard consistently is that they are so much more likely to show mercy when a person just co- completely humbly just admits it without making an excuse. When they just say, you know what, I sped, it was all my fault, I have no excuse. That you don't grovel, you don't make excuses, you don't try to shift the blame on your, well, my stupid speedometer, not sure what's going on, and you know, that you just say, you know what, I... I I did it. I have to take the blame for it. Now that doesn't, that's not a get out of jail free. I'm not saying that if you, if you do that, that they're going to show mercy and not give you a ticket. But what I'm saying is, is humility and honesty, you will win every time, even if you get the ticket. Wisdom dictates also, we, if in authority with others, that we calmly make our case without making personal attacks, that when you need to deal with somebody that we just say, all right, look, look, this is, this is the facts. Here's what's going on, and we don't get personal about it. This last little part here, five to seven. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on ground like slaves. You know, honestly, this is just one more example of a broken world with broken people in it where just things just don't add up. That's what the Garden of Eden fall has brought to us. Guys, I want to take you back to the very beginning, verses 11 and 12 of chapter 9. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle of the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of men are snared in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon him. Guys, you cannot control your death. You cannot control when frustrations are going to come. You cannot even take credit for your own abilities. If you're in here and you're not a believer, you need to fear God and you need to surrender to Him. He is large in His justice. He is large in His wrath for those who are rebels. But He is also large in His mercy. You do not want to fall on His justice side. Surrender to Him and receive His mercy. Believers, do not take... Your, don't take credit for your abilities and gifts and don't take for granted your abilities and gifts including people thank God every day for the race God has got you in for your battles that you're in thank God every day for the bread and the provision that he brings thank God for intelligence he's given you thank God for knowledge and submit all these things to him and dream his dreams God help us